This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is BFM 89.9 of the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Now, um, for those of us who have been on the internet since almost day dot, uh, you're probably familiar with the term and the word cookies. Uh, Not the edible kind, of course. Now, in computer terms, um, it's a very small string of text that's filed on your computer somewhere by a website, generally when you visit it. This is a very simplified version of what it is, of course. Now, they're used to remember your preferences, your login information, and some of the other browsing information as you've been pinging around from one place to another visiting other websites. Now, they're also used to track your activity uh, on certain websites and to personalize, uh, quote unquote, uh, your experience. Now, they're generally safe and cannot really transfer viruses or malware to your computer, but there are some cookies out there that could be a potential security concern, like super cookies and zombie cookies, something I'm sure we'll investigate a little bit later on. Now, um, Google first announced back in January of 2020 that they would be eliminating third-party cookies from Chrome by 2022. And in mid-2021 and mid-2022, the company said they are postponing its deadline for the phase-out until the second half or the end of 2024. In the ever-evolving landscape of digital marketing, the impending end of cookies marks a significant turning point. Once a bedrock of online tracking and personalized advertising, cookies are facing obsolescence due to growing privacy concerns and tightening regulations. This shift has profound implications for businesses, advertisers, and consumers alike. There are a myriad of questions that we've got, each unraveling a unique facet of the post-cookie era, PCE, from the strategies businesses will adopt to navigate this new terrain to the varied impacts on marketers, advertisers, publishers, and of course, consumers. The transition prompts a re-evaluation of fundamental practices. And today, we're delving into some of these challenges and opportunities arising in a cookie-less future. If you have any thoughts, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is 018-789-8899. And of course, you can get us on X, we are at B- yeah, BFM Radio. Now, to help me shed some light on this, I've got on the phone with me Weldon Fung. He is the Area Director for Southeast Asia over at Meltwater. Weldon, thank you very much for joining us here on the show. Thanks a lot, Richard. Now, um, I suppose the big question is, and I'm, I'm sure there are people out there asking this, why on earth are cookies coming to an end? Why are we heading towards this cookie-less future? Yeah, I, I think that's uh, been on everyone's mind. Why, why are they really doing this, right? Um, and I think there's really two key reasons that we're seeing as to why they're they're really um, deprecating cookies. Mm. Um, I think the first one is really around um, regulatory environment. Uh, I, so if you take a look at the EU now, they passed the e-privacy directive, which really controls how a uh, cookie can be used. Um, they're growing um really regulatory environment that's clamping down on how cookies um is being uh, number one stored as well as utilized right and if you follow in malaysia um mm. the pdpa governs a little bit of cookies and what how cookies can be used i guess first and foremost is that there needs to be consent mm. right mm. um the other part to that with consent in mind is really uh, a growing sentiment for privacy um, I think if you take a look at our global digital report, the Meltwater Global Digital Report that we do with VR Social, and um, it's done by Simon Kemp, 
Um, in fact, it says 36% of Malaysia, <clears throat> Malaysians use ad blockers already. Mm. So there's already a, a consciousness to really start to clap down as to what I want to be shared or what I want to be delivered as ads. Uh, the other part is 40% of them reject cookies, um, you know, part of the time or, or all the time. Mm. You know, I, I'm definitely one of those individuals that um, <laughs> click reject all the time. Maybe it's just liberating to feel that I can say no, right? It makes you feel like you're in control for a change on the internet, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm one of those people as well. I, I have Adblock installed on almost everything that I use. The only mm. time that I kind of get served ads now uh, and most of the time is not when I want them, of course, is when I'm going through some of my social media stuff. But yeah. even, we're even seeing it inbuilt into a lot of browsers nowadays as well. Safari has something that's built in that tells you mm -hmm. how many websites they've blocked since you last opened up your browser. I think uh, mm -hmm. Chrome have started doing that as well. But of course, this this does have much more of an implication towards stuff like digital advertising strategies for, for businesses, right? And how will this end of cookies impact them? Yeah, I, I think on the initial basis, they'll feel a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Um, so I would say efficacy around some of the work that they do um, may drop in the beginning. Uh, you know, it, it, you were talking about it's not the edible kind, but just like the cookie <laughs> monster, I think we are addicted to cookies like digital marketers and mm. um, specifically. Um, and it, a lot of them, I think there was a, a, a stat in 2021 where it says 70% are not ready for this change, right? Uh, that's probably changed a little bit now since then. Um, but I think in the initial part, I think efficacy around how they deliver their ads, the personalization that they do, um, it probably won't get the same type of reach they used to, mm. right? And the reason I say that is, some of them have prepared with this in mind already with things like first party data and how do they use that. Um, so I think one thing that you're hearing a lot about in the industry is um, customer data platforms, All right. CDPs. Yeah, yeah. Being able to manage that is, is something that's, um, I, I guess, a growing industry. And you hear a bunch of ad tech players saying, you know, we're CDP, we do customer data platform, we're doing first party data. So there's a lot of that happening uh, around. Now, while that's true, though, I do think one interesting impact that it will have is that it's going to make um, ads and personalization a little bit more refreshing, a little bit more innovative. Is, I feel it, like though, in, is it, though? <laughs> I, I, I think so, because if you think about it, I feel like uh, in the last decade, we've probably leaned into performance marketing a little bit too much. Like we're doing personalization mm. for the sake of personalization. Um, and it's become kind of a ends, which is the conversion rather than trying to build on a customer experience with the personalization, right? right, right. Um, and so I think, uh, if, if you think about it, um, if you take a look at how fast even language and content is evolving on places like TikTok, I think it is going to get a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, brands are going to be challenged to become more creative for one. Right? They're not just going to be like, well, we can serve this person with the right thing um, at the right time with the stock image of our product, right. for example. Right. Whereas they're going to have to try to get your attention uh, and capture that and keep you engaged um, for the long. Uh, and I think that's what's going to be interesting is we're going to see, obviously, the efficacy drop, but I think we're going to see a lot more innovative and refreshing new things come into play um, to really capture our attention. I mean, I, I suppose one of the things that captures my attention when I'm scrolling through social media, particularly uh, stuff like Instagram, of course, is, mm -hmm. and it, it's a really simple thing, 
I'll be scrolling through whether it's the reels or something, and somebody will just simply say stop. And you know, if I've got my sound on, it's an it's a knee jerk reaction, and I'm stopping, and I'm like, okay. And then they've got like half a second to sell me or shill me what it is that they're trying to. Do. Something as simple as that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think uh, what you're look, seeing is the evolving nature of. Um, how people are personalizing the information. Number one is being on trend, mm. zeitgeist. But those trends don't serve everybody. Right. They serve very specific communities. Yeah. Um, and so you're being fed content based on an algorithm because they can tell that you're maybe fitting to a certain part of the community, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example, just in the last few days on TikTok because of Microsoft's new image uh, generator, there's been so many funny memes just popping up saying things like, um, you know, uh, create an image of um, a boy from Malaysia, um, you know, um, promoting Malaysia and then make it more Malaysian, make it even more Malaysian and then like make it like absolute ultimate level Malaysian. And you know, have, you, have point, you been looking at my Instagram lately? Because that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, and you know what? The, so it's things like that where I think we're starting to see a little bit more innovative, innovative mm-hmm. and creative ideas, and brands can start to jump in on that right. and start using that, right? Right. Um, and, and I think that's what's interesting is that we're going to see a lot more community-based content, which is that form of personalization. But brands also have to be ready and, and understand how to do that effectively. Now, um, yeah. In terms of getting rid of cookies, then, does it affect different industries differently? So when we're looking at marketers and advertisers, publishers, consumers, will each of these kind of verticals be affected differently or is it going to have the, uh, the same impact across the board? Um, I think it'll vary. Uh, I think marketers for sure feel uh, a little bit more anxiety around this, right. um, namely because they're, they're not 100% sure if they can attribute everything or get the right targeting uh, personas. Um, I think with the advertisers, I, they've probably been preparing something in the background, but I, I, for sure they will know that there is going to be a bit of effect in, in the beginning. Hmm. And the thing, the reality is that marketers will continue to spend ad money. Right. That's, yeah. that's always going to grow. I actually think the sweet spot here is with um, media. I think media actually has an opportunity to play here where... You know, if you're not necessarily sure how you're going to target effectively, well, you know that media has a particular type of audience. So a lot of marketers will be able to lean into that a little bit more, um, especially if marketers can position that very well. Mm. Um, and it also is why creators and influencers are becoming bigger. Um, they're technically media. Yeah. Right? They serve a certain community. They serve certain audiences. And it's personalized in a way because they have interest in that already. Right. So I think they have an outweighed um, impact in all this. Now, earlier on, um, you talked about or you mentioned CDP. um, Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to circle back to that a little bit because obviously there will be alternative tech and different methodologies uh, that will be replacing third-party cookies and and stuff like online tracking. Uh, For folks who don't know what CDP is, can you just give us a a brief outline of, of what that might mean and what it is? And then some of the other alternatives that might be available in a post-cookie era. Sure. Um, I'm not an expert on CDP, so I'll just prefix that. So just everyone, That's fine. If, if people call me out on it. 
Uh, it, it's just my basic knowledge. And from my understanding is that it's ability to use the first party data that you collect on your own uh, websites or the interaction with your websites uh, and be able to utilize that um, in in the personalization and the, the marketing journey, right? So as an example, if you click around on, let's say, Amazon mm. or let's say even a uh, e-commerce website, um, you're able to pick up there are certain interests in products, right? Certain intent that's created. Um, and it probably starts to put you into categories based on those interactions. And that's what the CDP allows you to do. It, it houses and it stores that the uh, customer data and it allows you to make signals out of it or to, you know, create better ways of targeting uh, people who have interacted with you. Got it. Now, that's probably going to be one way it is probably the and it is an important way so i'm not denying that that will be important i just think people are you know thinking that that is the only pot of gold that you can use um after uh, cookies um you know I, i'd be remiss to not speak about the other form of data that we deal with at Meltwater, right which is in my opinion even more impactful which is third-party inferential data and so what i mean by that is you're getting a lot of intent data in terms of people clicking around uh, on your website or even through cookies originally, right? And so intent, um, so when they search for something and they click on it, there's an intent for them to maybe, you know, consider it or purchase it. Mm -hmm. The other part to that, though, is that it tells you a lot of what, what, like what are they interested in? But the other part to it is why. Um, and I think inferential data can really help us understand that a little bit more, mm. you know, why do they consider that uh, as something they need to have? Um, you know, it, it, for example, uh, considerations around, you know, moments of consumption. Mm -hmm. um, those are really interesting data points we can get. So as an example, when we work with certain beverage companies, um, they want to figure out when are people speaking about uh, consuming that beverage? Right. You know, is, it cel is it celebratory? Um, is it gifting? Um, is it maybe even, you know, uh, a nightcap as an example, yeah, right? yeah, just yeah. A, a relaxation point. Mm. really, that really helps them understand the motivations for that product. Um, and then the other part to that is then you're also able to make more context of inferential information to identify where these groups of people belong to, what kind of communities do they belong to and what resounds with them. So it's a lot and more, where, it's yeah. a lot more granular then. I don't know if it's a little bit more granular, but it's a little bit more contextual right, the way I would right. put it. Um, mm. And it's because we're trying to figure out what are the motivations, what are like um, moments, um, and then also on top of that, pr preferences, right? Um, and the other, the last thing is really how people identify themselves, mm -hmm. um, because you know the the problem with personalization is you're dealing with an individual. Right. But when you start to add context to those individuals and the data that belongs to them, you realize that they're actually part of communities. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really important because social proof is becoming more important. Yeah. Um, what used to be called word of mouth has just moved online. Mm -hmm. And people now believe um, what others say in the community that they feel like they identify with. Right. Well, then hold that thought. I've got to take a short break. Uh, folks, I'm on the phone with Weldon Fung. He's the Area Director for Southeast Asia at Meltwater. We're talking about a post-cookie era and about how that might affect your business or you as a consumer. And if you've got any thoughts on this, uh, get in touch with us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. 
018-789-8899 and get us on X at BFM Radio. When we come back, we'll be looking at some of the uh, other major advertising platforms and about how they might be adapting their algorithms, um, what uh, kind of implications it might have for user privacy, all of these kind of things, some very interesting stuff. So please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Enterprise Biz Bytes on BFM 89.9, the business station. Billions from me, BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bytes. My name is Rich Bradbury. Of course, this is BFM 89.9. I am on the phone with Weldon Fung, the Area Director for Southeast Asia at Meltwater. We're talking about a post-cookie world and how that might affect people from strategies. Businesses uh, will have to adopt and navigate this new terrain to the varied impacts on marketers, advertisers, publishers, consumers. Of course, this transition prompts a re-evaluation of fundamental practices. And if you want to get in touch with the show and help out with this discussion, 018-789-8899 is the number to get us. And don't forget, you can get us on X. We are at BFM Radio. Uh, thank you for sticking with us, Weldon. How are you? Not going anywhere. Enjoying the music? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can kind of hear in the background, so I'll <laughs> Bobbing, yeah, that's all I need. That's all I need. Now, just before the break, uh, and before we went into uh, a, a short break there, of course, we discussed a little bit about some of the advertising platforms. And I, I want to kind of delve into this and how some, perhaps some of the major advertising platforms are adopting their algorithms, I guess, and targeting methods in this uh, era. And you said that there are some that are prepared, some of that, that are less prepared. Um, and I guess really for those that aren't ready yet, um, other than saying get on it, what would your advice be? Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a few key things, right? And I think maybe uh, if you take a look at it, is knowing what kind of data that you have. And I think the the common misconception is that we don't have enough data, especially if cookies gone. Yeah. The reality is we probably have more than enough and we just don't know how to go about harnessing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so really being able to identify, okay, what kind of data sets do we already have? Um, you probably have sales data, you have some CRM data, um, and there's also other ways to acquire data, right? So especially if you're a smaller business, um, doing things like trying to, trying to get zero party data is an interesting way, uh, which is essentially making consumers willingly offer their information to you, um, you know, examples of that are like quizzes, surveys, discounts, um, or even getting them to register to your platform if you right. uh, need them to uh, be able to access something, right? Mm. Uh, the old joint, the old give me your email address, you'll get a discount code, something like that. Yeah, right. that's, that's the classic way. There's definitely a lot more innovative and, and new ways of going about that. Mm. Um, but those are really important ways, right? Because you want them to willingly give you some of that information. And then as they interact with your website more, you'll start to get more information without more context. Mm. Um, the other one that's interesting is uh, second party data. Now, I think this one's a little bit more niche and, and it is probably the most challenging to understand because you do have to work with partners who maybe have the data that you want. Right. So you need to form relationships and also sell it to them why it will be beneficial to to share the data amongst each other as well mm. um and then like i said the third one um which is in my opinion the most uh interesting because i work with that is inferential data mm-hmm. um and being able to glean all those online conversations 
And being able to structure that information into something useful is, I think, you don't need a lot of money. Um, you probably need to understand a little bit more about your consumers and, and structure the information in, with context. But it's probably the easiest way uh, to go about doing it. In fact, you could probably do it free as well, just by observing trends and tr trying to, you know, do just general observations around uh, the type of consumers that you have and how they're sharing information online. Right, right, right. right. So one of the things, obviously, when you, you speak to people, um, you, you know, people partic particularly who've been around on, on the internet for quite some time, uh, mm. myself in particular, people use Adblock and, and these kind of things. One of the main reasons that they use stuff like Adblock is, is of course, you know, not just to, to prevent ads from popping up because that can be an irritant, but it's, it's a privacy issue. It's not just about the ads being served to them. It's a privacy issue. So yep. how are regulatory bodies responding to these changes? And, and what implications, I guess, does that have for us as individuals who are surfing the internet or, or even, you know, using social media on our privacy? Yeah. I think you can start to see the uh, domino effect on on regulation, right? Um, and we're usually taking cue from Europe around some of this stuff. They're probably on the deep end of mm. on personal data privacy already with the uh, with the directive that I mentioned, which was the e-privacy directive that they've already launched. Um, and I think what you start to see is because of those things, um, other markets have joined. Um, you know, PDPA from Malaysia already restricts. Um, uh, cookies from being utilized um, unless there's consent. Um, and so you're starting to see a lot of the knock-on effect on the regulatory basis uh, already. Now, why I think this is good um, for the industry is, number one, I think for consumers, um, it's about consent. Mm. Uh, at least you know that you know, you're not becoming the product, at least without a sense of choice, mm. right? Uh, there was always that uh, joke where, you know, what is Google's pro product really? <laughs> um, well, the product is you, right? Yeah, we are. We have, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think it's about really uh, consent. Um, and I think that's an important factor um, because, you know, there's certain information that you may not necessarily want floating out there that can be utilized in a way that you're not even sure about. Mm. And it, it may not be malicious, but it's just not comfortable knowing that that it could be used in that way. Um, and I think that's really important. The other part to that is I think it forces um, marketers and, and advertisers to become a little bit more conscious about how they, they market their product or how they speak to you, um, at least a little bit more effort, in my opinion. And so rather than leading fully into performance, um, uh, marketing mindset all the time. They have to lean into the brand marketing a little bit more, um, getting, you know, what are those brand values? How do we speak to our right audiences and, and the kind of language we want to use? I think that's something that we've lost in the last couple of decades with digital marketing. And I think that's going to make um, marketing better for consumers because you feel like, oh, they heard me, they get me. They understand uh, who I am. I'm not just some broad brushstroke. Exactly. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I guess... Um, that kind of leads me on to a question about um, smaller businesses, of course. Yeah. This discussion that we're having, it, it seems to be um, very good for, for larger businesses. You know, they can adopt all of these new principles. They can play around with what they've done. But smaller companies, SMEs in particular, MSMEs, you know, 
they've used these quote-unquote cheaper versions of things, you know, and, and a lot of mm. th those things do involve stuff like cookie collection. Um, mm. Now, the moving away from that, what, what kind of uh, challenges maybe or, or, or opportunities does this present for smaller and, and medium-sized enterprises in the digital marketing space? You know, is this something where they can leverage on micro-influencers or, or something along those lines to help push through? Yeah, I think the the, the on, to address the challenges part, I, I think it's an obvious one. Um, you won't be able to compete on data collection um, as compared to the larger boys, for sure. Um, and then you won't be able to compete on ad spending. Mm. That that's a very clear one. However, I think you know we've probably seen the most amount of challenger brands come out in the last few years. And I think this is where opportunity arises, right? For SMEs and MSMEs, you're more agile. Yeah. And, and that's something that is really important because you have less red tape and you're able to innovate your approach. That's not something that large businesses can do um, to turn around in a number of minutes or even hours, right? Mm. Uh, sometimes it'll take weeks, if not months. Right? Yes, yes. And exactly. So if you think about it, we talked a little bit about trends on social media that we were seeing, right? Um, the trend about using that image generator and then making it more Malaysian and more Malaysian and more Malaysian. And brands being able to do that in an agile basis. Um, this is why we've seen a lot of challenger brands come up because they're able to observe, um, stay on top of what you know really hits the spot with their audience mm. and start to do content around that. And you're ready to address kind of the micro-influencer space as well. Um, they know, I think SMEs and MSMEs also know their target market a little bit more clear. Yeah. Really. yeah. Um, they know who's going to buy it, the kind of demographics that will um, purchase it. So knowing what kind of content creators to use is well within their means um, and using it as a partnership and not just maybe as like an endorser mm. uh, is also a strategy that we've seen in some SMEs who do really effectively, mm. right? Mm. Um, and that's why we see so many challenger brands come up um, and really, you know, start to claim a, 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 a slice of the pie, as you would say, right? Yeah. Okay. We need to take another short break here, Weldon. I'm having a fascinating conversation. Don't go anywhere, though. Um, I, I'll have you back in just a few moments, of course. Folks, I'm speaking with Weldon Funk. He's the area director for Southeast Asia over at Meltwater. We're discussing what it means to be uh, involved in a uh, cookie-less world, how this might affect you as an individual, you as an advertiser, or you as a maybe even data collection. Uh, but we are having to take a short break. We'll be right back here on Enterprise Biz Bytes on BFM 89.9, the business station. Bias Free Media, BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Rich Bradbury. Now we are talking about cookies and a cookie-less future here on Enterprise BizBytes. On the phone with me is Weldon Fung, the Area Director for Southeast Asia at Meltwater. We've had a good chat so far uh, with Weldon. Weldon, I want to kind of look at a, a couple of things, and I have a few more questions for you before I, I, I let you go. And I, I guess some of these I'm going to roll into one. Uh, because some of them are, are quite similar in, in my head. Now, one of the things I, I, I want to ask is um, this shift away from cookies, would it influence the measurement and attribution of market campaign success? 
Yeah, that, that's actually a really good question, Richard. And I had the thought about this myself as well. In some level, there will be a, an impact. Um, obviously, if you think about how we're tracking customer journey, yeah, um, we try and figure out, okay, are they looking at different things before they get to our website and et cetera. Mm. At that level, I think there will be some elements of, um, I guess, missing attribution, right? Mm. Um, like a, a common one would be, you know, if you're an automotive maker, people are probably researching on multiple websites yeah, or even going to a forum and asking people before they even decide to step into your showroom. So I think at that level, it's harder to figure out the entire customer journey in some way. Mm -hmm. However, I do think that there will be more reliance on things like, uh, pixel links, right. Um, which really allow you to start, um, effectively collecting that first party website attribution a little bit more. Um, so while we can't track across, um, the user's web behavior all across the net, we're really able to track, you know, the direct, um, referral as well as what's going on on the website. Um, and it's actually why we spoke a little bit about creators and maybe like affiliates, um, mm. why people are, are moving into that a little bit more and even media, right? It's because they can request that pixel links be utilized to go from those creator posts to their website mm. or from that, you know, affiliate website to uh, their own website or to a media uh, publications um, um, content to their website. So I think you're going to see a lot more leaning into the pixel links and the collection of that first party website attribution and then using partners um, as well as creator content creators um, who have a target audience uh, to really be able to, to take a look at that attribution. Mm. Um, and I think that's what's really um, going to happen. And, and so while we might miss, you know, the early stage um, and that top of funnel attribution on the internet, we're going to see a little bit more about the granularity that's happening on the bottom of the funnel. Yeah. And maybe even some of that middle of funnel. Right. Now, when uh, Apple uh, announced that they would no longer be tracking people via their iOS and, and via their, mm -hmm. their browsers and things, um, I might have done a happy little dance wherever I was at the time. And yeah. I, for me, that that seemed like a big thing, you know, um, actually taking a stance to do something like this against advertisers. Um, what's the general consensus, though, you know, amongst the general public and amongst consumers? Um, and their expectations toward data privacy and this move away from cookies. What's the kind of, you know, what's what's the temperature, I guess? Yeah, I think you really fall into two camps. One that just doesn't care. And then because one that is even unaware of it, most of them. Yeah, exactly. They're just, you know, uh, maybe not as educated around it. And, you know, their first experience on the smartphone is just to, you know, click on everything and, and to interact with the content. Yeah. So you're not, so you just don't care or, or really don't have a, a, um, you know, insight into it. Yeah. Then there's the other camp. Um, they've kind of gone through the Cambridge Analytica situation. They've kind of seen what, uh, data leaks uh, can happen or they've been impacted by a data leak before, mm. um, or maybe not even, and they're just hearing a lot about these things and they're, they're really conscious about how their information is being used. Um, and so I think you fall really into two camps and I gave a stat earlier that in the global digital report, um, 40% of Malaysians already kind of, they either reject 
half the time or all the time on, yeah. on cookie data, right? Now, one one thing to note, though, is while, you know, it's a great thing for Apple to kind of stand to the side of the consumer, <laughs> we also can't forget that they own a lot of data yeah. in the sense that, you know, they're you're on their platform. Yeah. You're on their browser. They're just not sharing the information. Yeah. So they actually get a little bit more power away from the um, advertisement platforms into their own ecosystem, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really powerful set of data that actually can be commoditized that we're not necessarily fully privy to. I'm not saying that they are or are not. Mm. I'm just saying that they have a lot of information um, and they can, the fact they that, can that, use that inform- information to be quite influential, you know, and Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll confess here that, you know, at, at a period when I, I found out that this was happening, I was using an Android phone for the most part. And then very shortly afterwards, I found myself moving back into the Apple ecosystem, getting an iPhone and getting some headphones and then getting the what you, you know how it is with Apple products. Yeah. You know, once you're in, you're in, it's very difficult to get back out again. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and, and the other parts of that is how many times have your watch kind of all of a sudden speak to you when you weren't even speaking to it? <laughs> it's so um, many those times. are those moments. I'm um, just a little bit. Oh, yeah. Not here. Yeah. Um, so while we, you know, there there is a sense of altruism there. We yeah. also, you know, I'm not 100% sure. A pinch of salt and all of that. Yes. Uh, oh, okay. I, I, I guess my final question for you, uh, because we are running out of time here, is um, success stories. So, you know, particularly from your clients or businesses that have transitioned to this cookie-less world. Um, and with these success stories, the, the kind of challenges that they've, they've faced going towards this cookie-less world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the most interesting stories, um, in, in my me- recent memory, I was speaking to one of our clients who's in the beverage space. They're one of the largest, um, gin distilleries in the world, actually. Yeah. Um, and they they had a great story about how, you know, gin for the most part hadn't been an in thing probably until recently. And particularly when you're a legacy brand, it's it's a little bit harder to get people back on it. Yeah. Um, when it was known as like the uncle drink or the auntie drink of the world, right? But one of the things that they noticed was um, there were people that were using um, their beverages or their spirits in more innovative mixes cocktail mixes and etc and it actually came from user generated content mm. and what they were doing from there is they've identified moments of consumption or moments of use of that product that were really popular and viral and really started to utilize that into different parts of the marketing execution interesting right? and that has become a really interesting way where people are utilizing a, a, a data and a cookie-less world which is around user generated content um, particularly if they know that they can get some traction around it. Mm-hmm. You, it's not your own brand talking about it as somebody else. There's a sense of credibility around that. Yeah. And then, of course, if it's on trend, uh, they're able to reuse that and and build it into different parts of the marketing campaign, and even you know, live activations where they feature the drink um, mm-hmm. and then obviously attribute it to the original user that had created it. Mm. Um, so I'm, I think there, that was a great story in my mind because it made it hip again. It made it, you know, uh, popular with the youth, you know, and, you know, a lot of people are saying, I don't get how to market to Gen Z. Well, you know, that's a classic example there of using user generated content and just getting it right without doing too many fancy, fancy things or trying to get too many fancy data to do it. Mm-hmm. Just 
observing and listening. I, I think the, another good example of that was was not too long ago the uh, the cranberry drink. What was it? Um, Ocean Spray. If you remember, oh, yeah. Ocean yeah. Spray and Stevie Nicks and then uh, the, the the band and everything. Yeah, that viral video and it was just some guy skateboarding drinking it and he just absolutely blew up. The product yeah. went crazy again. The band yeah. shut up the charts again. You know, great, great work. Anyway, um, thank you so much for your time today and spending time speaking with me, Weldon. It's been really, really interesting to learn about some of this stuff. Uh, of course, Weldon is the area director for Southeast Asia over at Meltwater. Um, if you missed any part of this show, particularly if you're a, a smaller business or an MSME, go back and listen to the podcast uh, a little bit later on, of course, wherever you normally get your podcast from, uh, to find out how you might be affected. And if you're a consumer, you know, and you're concerned about your privacy and you're concerned about your data, maybe have a listen back to this show as well. You can get it, of course, wherever you normally get your podcast from. I recommend the BFM app that's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'm sure I'll be speaking to Weldon again sometime in the future. This has been Enterprise Biz Bites. I've been Rich Bradbury. This, of course, is BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.